Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook. I am your host, James K., and right now, you are listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Because timing worked out just so well for me these past two weeks, some of today's episode contained some outdated material. When I took this job at Dash Radio, the week before they called me to see if this show would be something I was interested in doing, I conveniently booked a 10-day vacation at Olympic National Park, so again, I apologize for some of this being outdated, but there are only a few minutes where that actually comes up. Before we dive into my conversation with Eric Nemchuk that I recorded with him on May 19th, I encourage you to follow the Skyhook on Twitter at our handle, which is at Skyhookin, which is spelled S-K-Y-H-O-O-K-I-N. And if you want to contact us, you can do so at the Skyhook Mailbag, which is the Skyhook Mailbag at gmail.com. Um, and that is spelled exactly how it sounds. And I'll just repeat it once again, just in case you didn't get it. That is the Skyhook Mailbag at gmail.com. And I also have some exciting news. So once I am back from vacation, I'm actually going to put this show up on the Apple Podcast app and. Honestly, if the Apple Podcast app actually allowed my rinky-dinky podcast from when I was a student at the University of Iowa, um, if they allowed that to go up on their app, I'm sure that they will allow the sky, the sky hook to go up on there as well. So look out for annou- announcements on that in the coming weeks. But actually, one more thing before I get into my conversation with Eric. If you listened to last week's show, I said that I wasn't going to focus on the political aspects of the WNBA when this show comes out every Thursday this summer. And the one exception I said I would make to that rule is if the NBA hired a new WNBA commissioner. And I just wanted to do a segment on that, on how that person should use David Stern's business model in the 1980s NBA to help promote and elevate this league because there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that. Well, of course, after I said that, the league hired Catherine Engelbert and my conversation with Eric lasted over an hour. So I didn't want to cut out any of that. So I'm going to address this topic at some point. But for now, here is me and Eric's conversation from last week. So enjoy. So just a reminder, if I haven't already explained this already at this point in the episode, I am recording this show ahead of time because I conveniently planned a trip to Portland a week before Dash Radio offered me this job as host of the Skyhook. So yeah, I'm going to be gone from May 25th to the start of June. So some of this might seem a little outdated, but we are recording this May 20th and I'm excited because I am currently on the phone with Eric Nemchuk. And, I mean, if you don't know him, he's one of the most avid Chicago Sky fans you can find on Twitter. But, Eric, how are you doing today, man? I'm about placing myself among the most avid fans, but I try. I'm good, James. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I have had so many thoughts about where this team is going, and since none of my friends follow the W right now, I'm just pumped to bounce some of these ideas off of someone who has actually like been around the team for a while. There's just a good energy going on right now with like the media stepping up its game with WNBA content so far this season. 
And actually, shout out to The Athletic for announcing today that it hired beat reporters to cover each WNBA team. Um, you know, the Chicago team seems like it's on the rise. So, yeah, I'm just coasting on the good vibes right now. But, Eric, you have season tickets for the Sky, right? That is correct, yes. How long have you been a season ticket holder for? Well, okay, so I got started in uh, 2012. I went to a game about midway through the season, and the uh, ticket reps, with their um, persistent nature, <laughs> they were able to uh, cut me a little deal to get season tickets for the uh, remainder of the season. And then I kind of turned into a full season ticket holder in 2013. So 2012-2013, give or take a year. I mean, that's a pretty solid time to be a season ticket holder. I mean, I mean, despite that weird 15 and 19 season where they went to the NBA fi- or WNBA finals, excuse me. Um, I mean, you've, you've seen a, a few playoff runs before the Amber Stocks era. Yes, yes, I have. Um, those were, uh, we've yet to replicate that, but um, I'm confident in the, uh, in the current coaching staff and the talent that they have. I think they can probably get back there. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see for sure. Um, but before we get into the heart of the Chicago Sky News that I want to talk to you about. So Catherine Engelbert this week was hired as the next commissioner of the WNBA. Just as a longtime fan, you know, what do you want to see Catherine Engelbert do in her, like, like what do you think she needs to do to be a successful commissioner in this league? I've got a laundry list of things that need to, uh, to improve, by my estimation, and I'm not exactly sure how much of that is is really in her wheelhouse as far as you know finances go. But uh, I'll just start from the top. Uh, from one is uh, for one, I'd like to see an expanded merchandise selection. So you know you can you can go to Walmart or Target or what have you, and you can find merchandise from other pro sports leagues. Uh, the WNBA, that's not the case. Fact, it's pretty difficult to find WNBA merchandise in person at your your Dick Sporting Goods or your other athletic sports apparel stores as well. So I think the WNBA is kind of missing out there. Uh, and a pretty big opportunity to grow the fan base is if you know you see the merchandise around. Right now, you can only really get it on on the WNBA websites and each team's website, um, respectively. So that's something I'd like to see done. Uh, the website. This is something, this is like a running joke among WNBA fans on Twitter, is that the website really sucks, and it's really not very professional looking. I can't recall the last time they actually updated the layout, um, but even, not considering that, you know, they need a copy editor, because there are always really embarrassing errors, like players' names are misspelled, or some HTML code isn't working, or a box score link is broken, just really basic attention to detail, stuff like that. And then I'd also see, like to see more updated statistics on the website. You know, they made this uh, this big deal about, you know, pivoting to advanced stats a few years ago on the website. But if you compare it to, you know, what the NBA is doing with these super specific uh, situational stats and shot charts and on-off statistics and lineup statistics and all this really useful information, the WNBA just doesn't have that. And I know that the resources are out there for them to get that information, so I'd like to see them actually use it. Um, moving right along, I'd like to see uh, a better selection of video yeah. on the WNBA website, at least regarding you know like highlights, uh, game action, stuff like that. I was actually discussing this with my, one of my uh, friends, uh, Nikias at Nikias NBA. Uh, love you, man. 
we were talking about uh, he's he's he's, a, he's an NBA writer. He's trying to get into the WNBA as well. Um, but he said, you know, hey, it'd be a lot easier for me as like an X's and O's type of guy if I could see, you know, like individual plays or individual highlights, so I could break down the X's and O's. It would just give the uh, the people in that in that kind of community a, a different way to approach the game, if you will. So I'd like to see that happen. Um, preseason games, I'd like to see them get televised. This is kind of a sticking point for me because if you go on the WNBA Twitter account, they'll show highlights with video, with a scoreboard ticker. So it's like, I know you have it, so why can't we see it, you know? And that's another thing, you know, I think that we could help the visibility of the game grow significantly if people could watch preseason games, you know. It's, uh, we're at the time, you know, when NBA season is, is, is concluding and, you know, we're, we're, people are so invested in the NBA playoffs. You know, if there's a if there's a if there's a day off in between games or whatever, people are like, you know, I got to get my basketball sets. Where's my basketball? Uh, so I think a good opportunity would be to you know televise WNBA preseason, kind of a segue in, in between you know NBA playoffs and WNBA regular season. Um, I'd like to see better coverage of WNBA players playing overseas because that's such a significant and kind of unfortunate part of the game is that. Uh, these ladies need to play overseas in order to make the most of their, you know, their time as an athlete to make uh, enough money. Uh, it doesn't get, this got a little better from the WNBA's perspective uh, in recent years, but I still don't think it's the best. Uh, I know Google Translate is hard to use, you know, like the Chinese basketball website, Turkish basketball website, Israeli basketball website, they're kind of hard to navigate, but I've got faith that, you know, if you hire the right people, they will get that information in. Because uh, we need it. It's a long off season. I like to be able to keep up with the with the players I'm invested in. And finally, uh, and then I'll shut up for a minute. Better cross promotion with the NCAA. Uh, I think a legitimate question is, you know, we have so many fans that are really, really invested in their respective Division One women's college basketball teams that why why is that not carrying over into the WNBA? You, know, you see all these sellouts on on ESPN during uh, March Madness time for the women. Why, where are these fans? Are they still following the players in the WNBA? Not many of them. Um, you know, some colleges are the exception. South Carolina in particular, I'm really impressed with how they carry over. But for, for the most part, I, I need to see I need to see some promotion because it's not like these women just stop playing basketball. It's not like they just vanish off the face of the earth, you know? And we strike a deal and say, hey, you know, your athletes are going to be playing for us next season. What do you say we make these people aware of that? Just my opinion. Um, so yeah, that, that concludes my, uh, my mini rant on what needs to get better. Eric, you just sounded like that kid a couple weeks before Christmas who goes on Santa's lap asking for every toy at this toy store, man. But dude, you're totally right. And I agree with everything you just said because everything you just stated has constantly frustrated the WNBA community for years. Like... I won't comment on everything you just said for the sake of time, but one thing that bothers me the most as a journalist and what probably frustrates your friend who is trying to get into the WNBA is just how atrocious the functionality of the website is. Trying to filter and dig deep into the league's stats is so aggravating. It's like it's just simple like coding errors that have a quick solution that I just don't understand why they haven't been fixed yet. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go on the league's website, 
you know, which is one of the few recognizable West websites you can go for WNBA stats. When you click on a player's page, the website says it's under the tickets tab. Like that's just one example, but and there are a ton of other ones like where you kind of just scratch your head and think, do you really care about how this looks? James, it's about the presentation. Yes. Now, I, I just want to see some effort out of it. It's a professional basketball league. It deserves to be presented in a way that reflects the level of play. Let's put it that way. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think this is just kind of a representation of like how the NBA views the WNBA. Just like that, like the presentation of it, like they kind of just treat it like a Title IX formality instead of a product that can soar if given the right marketing and tools to succeed. And I mean, if you're like trying to become a fan of this league, it's like, do you really want to invest time in a league that doesn't want to give you the best resources possible for your fan experience? Like, I don't know. There's just so much that needs to be done. And the preseason stuff, and we can get into that now, just because, I mean, you were at both the Skies preseason games. I, it's it's unbelievable to me that the league won't even broadcast those and not just give us an option on just some platform. Like, why not team up with Periscope or something to give us or give the WNBA fan base something to look forward to while we wait for the regular season to start? It's unbelievable to me but going into the preseason though like in this part of the show so like by this time i believe so yeah by the time this episode is released like we will be a week into the season but i mean and we don't know like what lineups james wade is going to use in those first two games but since we can't predict the future like what lineups has james wade rolled out in the preseason and in your opinion are they the right ones um well, I'm going to have to kind of dodge that question for a second because uh, a significant part of the team was missing for the preseason. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Diamond Shields and Kalia Copper. Both were sitting out with uh, injuries. Um, Diamond's hers was, I think she was just sitting out as a precaution. Kalia Copper injured her hand overseas. Yeah. She may or may not be bad for the, pre- for the uh, regular season, sorry, opener. Um, but when you have basically like all of your minutes at the small forward position missing, it's, it's hard to say, oh, yeah, you know, James really played a great lineup because what you're going to be seeing in the regular season wasn't actually happening. Um, I, one, one result of that was that Gabby Williams was playing a lot of minutes at the three, and she was she was really aggressive. I was really impressed with that. Um, we didn't really see much of that from her last season. But that's the thing. Like, is that going to carry over when Diamond and Kelly return? I don't know. You know, there are only so many minutes to go around in a single game. So uh, in the preseason, it's... You know, and, and another function of that is, you know, Katie Wu. She played over yeah. 30 minutes in both of her preseason games. That's probably not going to happen when the, whole, when the whole roster is healthy. Wade himself said, hey, I, I had to throw Katie Wu into the fire because we didn't really have that many players available. So, you know, I, I like to think he he, um, he he rolled out some good lineups, but, I mean, the fact of the matter is, in the preseason, what you're trying to do is establish chemistry, and also you're trying to establish who of your 15 camp players are going to make the final cut, right? So um, some players who are played in preseason will not be with the team when they start a regular season. So I, I, I can't in good faith answer, answer that question right. because, you know, everyone is approaching the preseason differently. And, and uh, James has kind of dealt a lousy hand, if you will, because so many of his uh, significant players were, were missing time. 
No, definitely. I guess, how about the style of play? Because I just feel like, because again, like League Pass doesn't show preseason games and there's only so much WNBA content. And again, like while it's on the rise, it still isn't, there isn't, still isn't a ton of content out there. How about just talk about like, I don't know, you said, you said that Gabby Williams is doing great. How about, or like, it's just being more aggressive. How, like, how about the other players who has impressed you in those two games? I know it's a small sample size, but is there any other insight you can give us as people who just weren't able to see these games? Sure. Yeah. Um, the one player who's impressed me the most is, uh, Cheyenne Parker, without a doubt. Um, she really came into her own last season as an offensive player. Uh, I think when she was first drafted back in 2015, people were kind of scratching their heads. You know, she's passing like a project. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really, really developed nicely last season under Amber Stocks. And uh, this season she came in, she drops a lot of weight. I think people are really going to be impressed with her. She dropped maybe 12 to 15 pounds, if I want to take a guess. And uh, that's really reflecting her play. She seems to step quicker. Um, she's always been great on the boards, on, on offensive rebounds and stuff like that. But she's going to be that much more effective, you know, making those hustle plays. And then if she's matched up with somebody who's uh, – slower footed on defense, she's going to be able to get by them and, and finish with that left hand that she's been developing. So Cheyenne has been really impressive to me in preseason. And also, uh, I want to give a shout out to Chloe Jackson, second round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, she's coming in the absence of Jameera Faulkner and she has played pretty well, you know, for a rookie. It's a very steep learning curve as a rookie point coming into this league, especially when you're not getting consistent playing time. Uh, but she's come in, she's played aggressively, she's not been scared whatsoever, and she's really playing to her strengths, which which are her mid-range game, and then using her quickness to get to the rim. So I think Sky fans who appreciate uh, tough play are really going to appreciate Chloe Jackson. To be honest with you, I was kind of skeptical of the Chloe Jackson pick when she was drafted. I've like I've come around on that skepticism it's like since rewatching most of her games in this past NCAA tournament. But the thing I feel was the sky's biggest Achilles heel outside of defense is just how often they turn the ball over. And that's not Chloe Jackson's biggest strength by any means. Like her advanced passing stats like suggested that she isn't the greatest decision maker. And quite honestly, that is just putting it lightly. It worries me that that will stop her from being able to get a lot of minutes on this team. But I, mean, I don't know, like, how did she look in the preseason? Like, how was her decision-making? Uh, well, I got news for you. Everyone took the ball over a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, her strength. So, forget that way. Um, ball security. Yeah, she had, uh, I believe, three turnovers in both games. Not not great. Um, well, you need to be patient with her because... Uh, as has been pointed out on uh, you know national TV broadcasts, last season at Baylor was her first season playing point guard, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to make the learning curve even steeper for her. For her, I think it's, yeah, you know, it's going to be about playing under control in what should be a fast-paced offense. I mean, you know, Lee doesn't come out and say, hey, you know, we want to play fast, but it would make sense that they do so. So she's going to have to limit those uh, those turnovers. But that's, that's again, not new anything. I mean, you can't point the finger at one player and be like, hey, you, you turned the ball over three times when, when the team combined to turn it over 23 times, you know? So that, that's going to be something that, that comes for her. Uh, any rookie point guard, to be honest with you. So I'm not concerned about her. No, absolutely. So who do you want starting or closing games? Because I feel like the biggest question going into this season 
just in terms of just looking at the roster, is who's going to step up as that dominant front court defender that can take on the Liz Cambages or Tina Charles's of the league. Like, that's the type of player in the last five minutes of a game that I just feel like will just kill the sky if they don't know going in who is going to take down the opponent's, like, dominant, quote-unquote, true center. Um, so, with that in mind, like, what do you, like, what do you think that James Wade is going to do in terms of trying to combat, you know, the bigger players in the league? I mean, they didn't do a ton in the offseason addressing the front court. Um, and maybe that's because they, uh, you know, believe that Elena Coates, who didn't play a lot of, like, you know, who didn't play substantial minutes last season, could maybe rise. And like you said, like, uh, Cheyenne Parker could also, after, I mean, you said that she's in great shape. I mean, maybe she takes on that role, but... I mean, what does the front court look like to you? And, like, who would you want closing games at the end of a meaningful televised game? Well, when you bring up uh, Liz Cambage, you're not stopping Liz Cambage one-on-one. That's that's not going to happen. Um, unless you're maybe, you know, Brittany Griner or Sylvia Fowles. But the thing is, we don't have those type of players. This guy don't really have a type, uh, a type of lockdown defender or paint protector. That's just not how this roster is constructed, so... But, I mean, me. you still have to put, like, a body on a true right. center like that. So, I mean, like, who would be that big body who's going to, like, take down... Or, not I mean, not take down, but at least help when Gabby Williams comes... Or when Gabby Williams or Diamond DeShields comes to, like, help with a person like Cambage. You still need that big frame in front of Cambage. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. I mean, I think it's probably got to be Stephanie Dolson. Um, she's... She, she's got the big contract, right? She's got, uh, she's proven herself to be a, a good player in the past with this guy. She kind of struggled that season, but she was dealing with a lot of nagging injuries, I believe. So, uh, and she's going to be have to be on the floor on the other end for her playmaking ability because when you, when you're uh, approaching somebody like a Liz Cambage or a Brittany Griner or a Sylvia Fowles, you got to make them work on the other end of the floor as well. And where Steph can, you know, maybe create a little, bit, little bit of a mismatch is with her outside shot and her passing ability from the high post, or from the top of the key. So, I think Stephanie Dolson or Cheyenne Parker would be the favorites to close games. Steph because of her her skill, and Cheyenne just because of her overall activity level. Those two would probably be the best uh, option against a, a dominant low, fo- low post, uh, force like that. Uh, we'll see, though. I mean, you know, Steph didn't play much in the uh, second preseason game, and um, and he spoke very highly, James Wade did, of, of Victoria McCauley. And we also made a trade today, so um, I don't know if you're planning on talking about yeah, that at all. Let's talk about it now. I mean, I don't, again, I've, I've got a proclivity for mispronouncing all these names, but Jantel Lavender, I mean, she was acquired today from the Sparks for a second round pick. I mean, is she going to eat into the minutes of the younger front court players? Like, what do you expect from her? And, I mean, did you like the move? I did. I did like the move, and here's why. Uh, next year's draft class doesn't project to be one of the stronger ones in WNBA history. I mean, we still got a whole season of NCAA basketball to be played to make that final call. But a second-round pick uh, probably wouldn't be making this roster or be making a significant impact next season. So the sky, in order to, you know, they, they were able to acquire a veteran center who, uh, who has plenty of offensive skill for, I don't want to say nothing, but it was a fair swap. It, it was, this guy got a good deal out of it. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, where Gentile fit uh, for minutes-wise, I mean, 
the preseason's over, right? So yeah, it's going to be maybe a little difficult for her to get integrated right away. Um, and it does kind of change the roster situation significantly because, you know, you, you figure, okay, Astu Endor uh, is going to be fighting with Victoria McCauley for the last post position. Mm-hmm. Now that Lavender comes in, I mean, she's getting paid a lot of money, and you would think that they would, you know, say, okay, well, we traded for you almost at, almost at the 11th hour, if you will, so we're going to want to put you, right? And kind of what you're going back to the offseason comment, you know, not addressing the front court, I really thought that Wade would, you know, try to sign a vet, try to sign a veteran player like a, like a Shavante Zellas or an Essence Carson type. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't do that, but, you know, maybe, maybe this is their move for a vet, you know? And Lavender, I think she's still got plenty to provide. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if she, you know, plays at least, you know, 14 to 16 minutes a game, maybe even in the 20s. What does this do for Elena Coates? Like, I'm... I was just going through the roster again today after this trade happened. And I mean, they spent a second round or not a second round pick. They spent a second overall pick on her. And she also wasn't drafted by James Wade. He wants to play with the pieces that he wants to, you know, like uh, he wants to play with the toys that he bought. And I don't know. I just, I wonder what Elena Coates is going to do or like how she just fits in with the rotation when they already have like four people that can start at the like at the five or the four really you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, I I don't think I'm not sure how long this this gentle uh, lavender trade was in the works mm-hmm. because if it I don't think it was I don't think it was in the works for a long time because if you look if you look back before the even the draft, uh, Wade signed. Um, Evelyn Akator, he signed Victoria McCauley. So he, he had his, his front court comp- competition set already. And then, you know, they started making cuts. And I guess Jensen Lavender kind of fell into their laps. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the inside scoop. But uh, that, would, that would be my deduction. So what what's, what's the plan for Coates? I, I don't know. That's a good question because you're right. She was drafted by Amber Stocks, uh, not James Wade. And uh, I'm not sure. I, she, she hasn't really... The minutes distribution in the preseason suggests that she hasn't really done anything to step up and seize that that backup center role. Maybe she is the big body that they're looking for to kind of go up against the Liz Cambages or the Brittany Reiners. We'll see. Uh, but she is one player I'm going to be looking forward to uh, develop this season because of these this crowded front court. I just hope this doesn't end up being the case where. Elena Coates is shipped off because there isn't time for her to develop into a meaningful piece off of the bench or, I mean, or just a solid WNBA player. She only played 11 minutes a game last year. And I mean, she was a dominant player when she was at South Carolina. Um, I mean, actually, fun fact, she is only the third South Carolina player ever to record a thousand career points and a thousand rebounds. I just found that buried in my notes. But what I'm saying is that it would be an absolute gaffe to trade a player or prospect that is just two years removed from being the number two overall pick and just not getting anything substantial in return. Like one potential scenario is that the team holds on to her at the beginning of the season to see if they go on a tear at the beginning and just to see how they stack up against the rest of the league, which is kind of wounded right now. 
and maybe try to trade her for another veteran piece to try and maximize the window of Allie Quigley and Courtney Vandersloot, who are 33, and I think Sloot just turned 30. So, um, But if they trade Coates for nothing, just to maximize the roster spot, I mean, you just don't want to waste an asset like that because that pick was re- acquired in the Dolson trade, I think, right? Yeah, it would just be a shame if they just blew that away, like um, blew that. But okay, so one thing I talked about on my on the last show was whether the sky should have Ali Quigley return to being the sixth woman coming off of the bench. What do you think of that? Like, where do you side on that whole thing? Um, you know, I, I haven't really heard that uh, any indication that they're going to do that. I I think she should start. I think she should start just because, as far as you know, a, a shooter, what she brings to your to your team definitely outweighs you know her, her deficiencies. You know, maybe on defense or ball handling or what have you. Uh, Ellie Quigley is a was a major part of what made the Sky offense as successful as it was over the past two seasons. Just because she can pull from anywhere, you know, she doesn't need any room at all to get her shot off. She's one of the few players, you know, who you know in the league who you can you know legitimately run off screens for three-point shots or who's a threat to pull up and transition for three. So, and, and just the chemistry she has, um, the chemistry she has with Courtney Vandersloot, I think you want to maximize the time that she's on the court. So, and then if you're bringing her off the bench, then you have to do with matchups and stuff like that. So, I think that she should continue starting. Maybe her minutes go down a little bit because, you know, they drafted Katie Lou Samuelson as a shooter. Uh, and you're right, Ellie's not going to play forever, fortunately. But uh, as far as, you know, her, her starting versus coming off the bench, I, I think you need to keep starting I think so, too. I kind of flip-flopped. So last week, I had I did a bold prediction segment on the show. And one of my bold predictions, just because I wanted to produce some good radio, um, I'm sorry to be too honest with you, all of you, but I thought that there, that there was a possibility, or again, just for good radio, I said that Allie Quigley is going to lead the league in three-point attempts, but do so coming off the bench. And, I mean, I think that just because she doesn't start doesn't mean she can't close, you know what I mean? And that she can still play those meaningful minutes, but maybe do so coming off as a spark plug. I don't like that idea as much anymore. I think that with a young team like this, and I think there's, what, like seven players that have two or less years of experience in the WNBA, I think you need someone like Allie to set the tone. And But, I mean, I'm not, like, the first person to bring this up in terms of having her come off the bench. Like, you see a lot of people actually saying, like, you know, Allie Quigley should return to the six-woman role, you know? I mean, she was the six-woman of the year in 2014 and 2015, so why not... Like, why would you take her away from a role that she excelled at? I'm not sure they should do that at this point. Um, Especially, I mean, did you see what... Or did you read Madeline Kenny's piece earlier today about how... Uh, Yeah. uh, I did not. What did I say? So, pretty much, (laughs) James Wade had a comment just saying that he was glad that the Chicago Sky were not on league pass in the preseason just because a lot of... It just seems like a lot of things are up in the air right now and that the team just hasn't found that balance yet, which, of course, because there's only two games played in the, in the preseason at this point. But, well, I mean, actually, that's it for them. So, like, if the team isn't there yet, I actually don't mind having, even though Ali just got back from Italy, like, a week ago, like, I actually don't mind having 
her just come back in and just be the trigger happy shooter that we've seen her be. Um, let's just go through some other off season stuff just because I mean, it's still technically the off season right now as we record this. So what did you think of the Katie Lou Samuelson pick when it initially happened? Um, I was a little surprised to be honest with you. Uh, no front in there. I, I really thought they would go center because the, uh, the, the, the names were there, even though the fever picked, uh, Tier McCowan at the, the pick before them, they still had on the board, uh, Christina Nigue and Kalani Brown and, you know, size, size of the defense and rebounding. Uh, and the lack of those things is so evident on the roster. That I thought it'd be a no brainer, but, uh, you know, it, after I thought about it a little bit, I was like, okay, you know, this, this this does make sense because if they've got, you know, players who can get to the rim, you know, really good athletes like uh, the Shields, Gabby Williams, Kalia Copper, you want the floor to be spaced for them. And also for, you know, Steph Dolson, if, she, if you want her to be making those passes that she can make, once again, you need the good floor spacing to make that happen. Ellie Quigley getting up there in age, Katie Lou is a logical placement because she's a great shooter. And she's also not going to really need much time to get adjusted because coming in you know what she can do you know what her main strength is going to be that's shoot the lights out so she's going to I think have a fairly easy transition in the WNBA so I don't I don't mind the pick uh, I think it, the pick fits well with their current group of players we'll put it that way no I, I completely agree I mean after Katie Lou was picked, I went back and I watched hours of game footage of her, and I just watched every tournament game she's been in since 2017. And I won't be repetitive here because I did a 15-minute breakdown last week of why I think this was the right pick and was the perfect fit for this guy. But I think her potential is, like, she could be a number one player on a championship team and just because, of like, I mean, how this team is going to build, and hopefully there aren't going to be more star players that leave the team um it's important for the sky to actually retain some of those it's crazy how much um stars are actually needed to win a championship this is a shout out to the sky for yeah. the, messing that one up repeatedly but where do you see like what is katie Lou's potential in your mind like is uh am i crazy for thinking that i mean is that the coffee talking like is she a number one player on a playoff team or is she going to be more of a complimentary role to a star uh you know for, for katie Lou, i think Honestly, I think Ellie Quigley isn't a bad role. Because if you look at Ellie Quigley, she's somebody who really maximized, you know, the amount of, you know, she, she did the most with what she had, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, limited athletically, but if you look at her fundamentals shooting the ball, you look at her fundamentals moving without the basketball, they're, they're pristine. You know, I, I think Katie Lou Samuelson could be a type of player, you know, if she's not starting, she could be a, a six-woman-a-year candidate just because of how great of a shooter she already is. And if she can really, you know, get herself into, you know, really elite shape like Allie Quigley has over her career, kind of carve out that as a, as, as a shooter coming off the bench or, or even in the starting lineup, I, I do think she has some good potential. They're probably not a number one option. I don't think she has the, you know, the shot creation ability or, or anything like that. But she, she could be definitely a, a very good complimentary player. Wow, I feel so bad about my take from last week now. But I know what I'm going to stay behind it just because I think that the 2018, 2019 version of her was just, she was injured and she couldn't really, I mean, she's already limited in terms of her athleticism. So 
her just kind of like not being able to like weave in and out of the like I don't know just not being able to create the shot angles that we've seen her uh, create in the season before that when she went off I, I don't know I'm I'm hopeful that she's better than what Allie Quigley is not to say that Allie Quigley isn't a solid player already but I think that Katie Lou is already going to be I mean she's already an excellent passer like I think she's an elite half-court passer and I mean she's not like going to be a one at any point but like she is someone that can really create opportunities for her teammates so I don't know I feel like I maybe I'm just too high on her but I hope I think that this guy need her to be that I don't know like that two three in that two three position range where she can just be a complimentary facilitator for someone like Slute who really like when she came off the court the offense just was completely derailed just because of how young yeah. this team and they just couldn't facilitate and I think Katie Lou already brings in a high I mean she's an incredible facilitator so I hope that you're wrong I hope that she's better than Quigley because it would kind of just suck to see Allie Quigley you know she's kind of I mean she's not a spring chicken do people still use that phrase I don't know um I, yeah we'll just we'll roll with it but um you wouldn't want to see Allie leave and then Katie Lou just take over that role or else we're just back in the same position where, we're, you know, you're just hoping that you find someone to take over that star role. And I don't know, I'm high on Katie Lou, but I was curious to see what your take on that was. But let's move. Wow. We're already at the 35 minute mark. So let's just move the move along here. So which of the young prospects do you see improving the most this season? And I'll just give you a couple names. You, you know, them already, but just have it, keep them in mind. You know, Diamond to Shield, Cheyenne Parker, Elena Coates, Gabby Williams, Kalia Copper. So, like, who do you think out of that group, I guess, is going to improve the most from this, like, on this team? Uh, without a doubt, Diamond to Shield. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of last season, she showed us really great things. Uh, I, I, I'm, I was trying to pull up her, her game log from last season on the WMB website, but it would not let me. So, um, <laughs> I, I forget... I forget what what numbers she posted in her last like three or four games, but they were really really twenty six uh, points terrific. a game. I'm sorry. Yeah, she was averaging twenty six points a game in her last three games last season. Yeah, not bad. Uh, <laughs> so, and that's somebody who you know. I think moving forward, that's who we are, the star player for this guy is going to be Diamond the Shields because she has that takeover ability. Mm-hmm. She has that ceiling with her athleticism, um, and she's got the work ethic as well. So that's somebody who I'm expecting to take a, a, a big leap this season is Diamond Shields. I couldn't agree more. That's who I was going to say. I think, and I think she is the obvious answer here. Yeah. It's all about the consistency, though, and like her taking her game to the next level is contingent on her being like consistent for 34 games in a season, you know. But I think that James Wade, I mean, just based on what I've seen, I don't know if you've seen it on YouTube on the Skies channel, but they have a series right now called In the Blue. He just seems like a great motivator. And I think that I didn't see that a ton in the media section when I saw Amber Stocks. Again, that's just all just being the body language doctor or whatever. But like, I think that Wade is going to bring that out of Diamond. And I mean, if there is someone on this roster other than Katie Lou in my mind who can be a number one player on a championship team, I mean, I think it is Diamond. I mean, she does have all the intangibles. Um, how about in the second part of this group? So 
do you see like so Cheyenne Parker you raved about earlier but like how about Gabby Williams I mean do you think that she could easily be the person that out of this group just becomes the most improved I mean I don't know I've been reading a lot of Gabby Williams content lately so maybe it's recency bias Recency bias is definitely a thing, but I, I do really like Gabby's ceiling. Uh, she's a tremendous athlete, and she's just got so many things that you can't teach. Uh, that's in particular her, her court vision and her passing ability. I don't know if you remember, it was against Seattle last season. She threw like a almost full court bounce pass to Allie Quigley on the fast break, like through Seattle players. It was it was insane. It was, it was probably the pass of the year, uh, in my totally unbiased opinion. <laughs> but she... Gabby can do so many things with or without the basketball. And then on defense, she's, she's a total thief. She's, she's going to be, um, she's going to lead the league, lead the league in steals several times in her career. I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. She's just that good. Uh, for her, it's just a matter of uh, confidence in her offensive game and, uh, you know, continuing development of her uh, three-point shot. Because if she's able to, you know, because she, she already has the, the explosion and the ball skill to beat, you know, taller, slower defenders off the dribble with ease. It's just going to be about uh, looking for her shot when the offense breaks down, being more confident in her ability, and uh, knocking on a three-point shot, excuse me, if it's available. So I think she could definitely take a big leap. These minutes at small forward during preseason, they may not have been by design. They may have. I'm not sure. But if they weren't, they could be a blessing in disguise in that if, Gabby is forced into playing more uh, aggressively on offense, that she will be able to yield better results. I think she is just a tremendously high ceiling type of player. So even if it doesn't happen this year, it'll happen next year. Totally. I mean, her defensive abilities just blow me away. And it's something that you really just have to watch live or even on League Pass if it works. Um, like, especially at the end of like, her season last year, I thought that she was really starting to come along a little bit. And she did, I think, and I forget which piece it was. I think it was with like from The Athletic. But she said that, like, that she, like, could, she thought that she could rely on her athleticism to get by in the league, but that the IQ of WNBA players made it harder for her to adjust to that. So I think that's one yeah. of the reasons we saw that she kind of was slowed down a little bit last year. But in the Euro Cup this year, she averaged 15, 5, and 3. And that's, that 3 is like steals <laughs> and she did that in 28 minutes per game in the euro cup so i don't even think this guy need her to be a 15 like point per uh a 15 points per game scorer for her to be a valuable asset for this team like this year but yeah no i mean i think that people should look for her to just really emerge as like one of the key pieces of the sky this year just because i think we kind of slept on her after a slower season last year from her but so since this guy made it to the finals in 2014, in that weird 15 and 19 season, um, their average wins per season is 16. If you were a betting man, would you would you take the under or over on this guy getting to that win total this season? Um, I would take them getting that win total exactly. I think 16 wins is a realistic target for this team. You know, we're kind of in a situation where for the WNBA, where so many star players are either sitting out or injured and going to miss most of or the entire season. It's, it's very unfortunate, but with so much in flux, you know, around the league, I, I think the opportunity is there for this guy to step up and kind of get back into playoff contention. I do think this is a playoff team. I don't really think they have much margin for error as far as 
uh, either injuries or, you know, inconsistent play goes. For example, I referenced this a couple of days ago on uh, Locked On Women's Basketball. I was talking with Ben Dull. If you look at the Connecticut Sun when they were uh, forced to trade Shanae Gumake, what was the consequence of that? Oh, we got to play John Cole Jones more minutes. Darn. You know, it's like <laughs> this guy don't really, they're not really, they don't really have the, the amount of, I don't want to say talent because they have plenty of talent, but they won't be able to absorb a hit like that. So the, there's not as much margin for error, but I do think they could be at least a number six seed if all goes well. It's just tough because, you know, after maybe the first four teams, so much can go right or so much can go wrong. Um, but I think 16 to 18 wins is a realistic expectation for them. Yeah, no, totally. I just wonder, is James Wade's playing philosophy going to translate to the court right away? And, I mean, this team was atrocious on defense last year. And I don't think yeah. that you see a lot of successful playoff teams or even, like, fringe playoff teams really getting to the playoffs when the defense was, like, that bad. I think they were. I think they ranked last in defensive efficiency last season. So, they did, yeah. I mean, what? as much as I love James Wade, and seriously, I've bought all the James, stock, James Wade stock in the world, but how much can he really do to get this team ready? I mean, we're not just talking about a team that's had, like, even two months to prepare. We're talking about a team that's had, like, just two weeks to prepare for an entire 34-game season. I, I don't know. I struggled to think about, like, I don't know. Like, I struggle to see this team being as successful as we like we would like them to be. But, ooh, well, I don't... If you want to look at it from a glass-half-full perspective, most of the other teams are in that same boat as well. Uh, it's not like the Sky get a two-week preseason and, and everyone else gets a two-month preseason. Everyone... Is, is, is strapped for time here. Uh, that's just the way, that's just the nature of the league. Um, but, you know, the Sky were last in defense last year. They were last in defensive rebounding last year. They were last in turnovers last year. And, I mean, they're first in turnovers. They, they were not taking care of the ball, is my point. Um, so, yes, there is a lot on Coach Wade's plate right now. Um, and he said, you know, it's part of it is just, I don't want to say giving more effort. Because, you know, there's always something schematically you can change. There's always some way you can rearrange the card deck. But a big part of it is just going to be, hey, you got to keep your man in front of you. you got to stay in front of your man. And you have to finish your possessions with defensive rebounds. If, if they can't play acceptable defense, they need to at least be okay on defensive rebounding. Because it really, really hurts. Because they're not going to be able to give themselves a chance on defense they're not going to be able to score enough points to, you know, stop the bleeding, to use a, a sports term, uh, because, you know, they're, they're going to be giving up the offensive rebounds. That's one thing I saw in the preseason. Tierra McCowan, they could not keep her off the boards. Granted, she's enormous, and that's that's a pretty difficult task, but uh, it's something that needs to improve because, you know, offensive rebounds leads to extra possessions, and if your defense is already uh, porous, then, you know, that that's not a good sign. So... Just, just effort things like that, making your second effort to get to the Lewis, Lewis basketball, staying in front of your man, um, just t- communications, things like that. James Wade, uh, I can already tell he's going to emphasize communication. That's a huge part of defense right there. So we'll see. Um, as he said, the preseason results were not promising, but they've got a solid week or so to get that figured out. Although by the time this, this segment airs, it will be a week into the season, as he said. But 
hopefully if I see into the future correctly, they will get at least some of that figured out. Most likely, we won't see it figured out at the beginning of the season, but I mean, I think you're 100% correct that this guy really, they don't have the longest leash here, and even the, the, even though that they are a rebuilding team, it does seem that the leash is a little bit shorter. But So you wrote an article last August just detailing all of Courtney Vandersloot's highest achievements and like how she destroyed the record books last season. And Eric, when... Yeah. I lie awake at night trying to tune out all the basketball narratives that dominate my consciousness 24-7. The one that I come back to a lot with the WNBA is just, why isn't Courtney Vandersloot getting enough attention? And I don't understand, like, why... Can you? Is there an easy explanation for this? Because when you look at the all-time stats and what she's accomplished, it's crazy to me that, like, I think 2011, and according to the WNBA's website, which is so inconsistent. Um, you know, Courtney only made it as a reserve in 2011, and maybe I'm wrong about that, yeah. but, but she only That's made right. it as a, re- as a reserve, and the again, the all-time numbers just blow you away. Why isn't Sloop getting enough attention in this league? I wish I could answer that for you. That's, that's something that haunts me at night as well. Just why, why does Sloop not get enough attention? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. You know, she didn't go to college at a Power 5 school. She didn't have ESPN fawning all over her as a top draft prospects. No, that was a while ago. Um, so, somebody, if, if a veteran WMA fan wants to come along and correct me, post a show, please do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and the Sky haven't really been, but I don't want to say the Sky haven't been successful in her tenure here because they have. You know, they have reached the WMA finals and, and uh, stuff like that, and she has set those records. So, honestly, James, I, I don't know. I, I think it's past due. I think she deserves, she deserves to make the All-Star team last season. Um, and I think she's going to come out with a chip on her shoulder this year. I think so too. And so again, just to mention my last episode, I did my, like one of the segments I did was the bold predictions one I said, and this sounds insane, but I said that Courtney Vandersloot will become the first WNBA player to average nine assists per game, um, this season. So, I mean, am I just being insane? I mean, or will you be writing another article this August about how Courtney rewrote the record books in 2019 uh well i hope so because that means more ad revenue um but <laughs> <laughs> well you know nine assists per game whew, that's that's a lot but here's the thing about that uh, uh there's a lot of stuff that goes into per game statistics you know like for example pace of play so number of possessions obviously if you have more possessions you're gonna there's more chance you're gonna get a lot of assists courtney bandersloot under amber stocks was a very ball dominant point guard she had the ball in her hands very often um of course, that also means she kind of uh, she turned the ball over more than we were used to seeing from her in the past. Yeah, but, I mean the numbers are just ridiculous, as you said. She assisted on forty three point four, almost half of her teammates' baskets last season. That is insane. So I don't know what James is going to do because if it, it could very well be that you know Courtney Vandersloot doesn't assist, doesn't lead the league in assists, or if she does, you know it's not going to be that high because she doesn't have the ball in her hands as much. You know, she could be playing more uh, just as many minutes, but you know maybe James Wade is going to want to take a different approach with his offense, where he's going to have uh, Gabby Williams, for example, initiating more offense, or they're going to be initiating more offense uh, through Steph Billison, you know, with some Princeton stuff. I don't know. Um, nine assists for game—that's a lot. That's a lot of assists. It's insane. If, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's well coming into coming into last season. You would have thought what she did last season would be insane too. You know. 
and she did that while playing only 30 of 34 games. So I, I, it's not out of the realm of possibility, to be certain, um, but again, they need, to, they need to play at that fast pace in order for, the, to them, for her to get enough possessions to make that happen, and she needs to have the ball in her hands a lot in order to make that happen. Whether or not that would be conducive to, te- to team success, I don't know. So we might have to forfeit record and records and uh, individual records in favor of you know on-court success, but we'll see. And by all accounts, from what I witnessed during the post-game interviews last season, she doesn't care about those individual statistics. So I would just, no, I don't know. So if I'm doing the math correctly, she would have to she would get 304 assists this season and no one's ever broken th- like 300 and I don't think anyone's ever broken 280 in a season so yes it's kind of crazy but I just feel like that if she does lead this team just going up the court and like kind of just being like taking what she did last year but just play with like a faster pace I don't know that's, I just think if you have Quigley on one side and you have Katie Lou on the other they're just going to be chucking up shots and even if they're only going in at like a 35% clip from three. It's just like, that just seems like the assists are going to add up, but maybe it's wishful thinking, but as a Chicago sky fan, she's been around since what she's been around since 2011, right? Is unless I'm right. So what is your favorite salute moment? Um, you know, I mean, you joined or you got your season tickets in 2012 or 2013. Sorry if I'm mistaking that, but what was your favorite salute moment since you've been a Chicago Sky fan? Uh, when she followed me back on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Flutie, I love you. Uh, probably uh, her triple-double last season against Dallas, just because that was a game. And that's just not, this just wasn't a, a Courtney Vandersloot individual moment. That was, a, that was a really fun game because that was a game in which Absolutely no defense was being played on either side. Yeah. So it was it was very fun. It was a fast paced game. The sky fast break game. Their transition game was working beautifully, and it was just kind of something that it didn't really seem like it was happening until I looked at the final score. You know, that's, it was something like, oh wow, you know, according to the triple double, that doesn't happen very often in this league. Um, but it was really asserted my belief that you know she is one of the greats in the game that she does deserve to be mentioned among, you know, the Superbirds and the Skyward Dickenses and the Chelsea Grays and all these great point guards. And that, yeah, you know, she, she's legit. So that's, that was probably my favorite Courtney Brandon moment. I mean, there were so many, but if I were going to pick one on-game, one in-game performance, it would definitely be that one. That was going to be mine as well. I was at that game. I think it was one of my first games covering the sky, and that was just such a fun game to watch just because – you know, on Twitter, I was just like, triple-double alert. You know, Courtney Vandersloot is approaching, you know, I think she was the seventh player ever to have a triple-double in a WNBA game. I think what was lost in that, though, because people were making such a big deal out of that being, this, you know, one of the few triple-double games we've seen in the WNBA. From July 20th to August 18th, which was the second-to-last game of the season, I'm not going to count the last game because she only played 21 minutes. But, I mean, she was averaging 16.2 points per game, 10.6 assists per game and 4.8 rebounds per game. Like what more do you want out of your pass first point guard? Like just considering how poorly this team was doing last year and how much they were turning the ball over. It's just crazy that she like for the final stretch of the season, put up 16 and 11, you know, it's, yeah. I love her so much and I just wish she got a little bit more appreciation, but 
maybe that's the stan in me talking but um so we are running out of time right now so um i really wish i could have talked to you about just again the, those trades over the years that this guy Ooh, it's just a brutal history with the, the transaction aspect of it. But maybe I can have you on at a different time for that. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we end the conversation? Uh, I, I'm tremendously sorry that I won't be able to discuss my favorite franchise's uh, terrible luck with the trade. <laughs> I, I really, was really, really missing that. No, just joking. Um, not, not much right now. Uh, I just encourage people to, if you... If you've got uh, if you got Bulls blues, if you're unhappy with them, uh, and I know you're out there, I highly encourage you to come out this season. Uh, tickets are cheap. It's a very enjoyable product. Uh, and if you do come out, if you want to visit my uh, my Twitter account at nemchuck e, I've got a little promo code for you to use. It'll get you a discount on your tickets. So um, want to give me a follow at nemchuck e. I'm the one with the uh, Dratini Pokemon uh, pencil drawing. Can't I, miss it. I don't think there are that many of those on WNBA Twitter. They're, they're not a ton. You'd be surprised, but they're not a ton of them, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I've got my I've got my brand. Um, that's that's important. It's important for everybody. Hey. Uh, then I'm also writing. Uh, so Switch SwitchAppeal.com and hashtagBasketball.com. We should be having some good content coming out later this week, hopefully. Uh, working with a, a lot of great people, a lot of very talented writers as well. So I'm excited to get back to writing. Um, and that's that's just about it. You know, I'm always down to chat WNBA. It's kind of my uh, kind of my summer obsession, if you will. So uh, if you're feeling down to talk some hoops, I'd love to I'd love to hear from you. And uh, thanks for having me on, Eric. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk some hoops with me. And hopefully, if you are able to join me once again, we will be talking about the great things that are happening around the sky at some point this season. But Really, thanks for coming on the show, and I look forward to our next talk. My pleasure, James. You too. Right. Thanks, Eric. That wraps up my call with Eric, and I want to thank him once again for joining me on this edition of the Skyhook. But before you go, I want to mention that I know this has kind of been a wacky two weeks for this show because of me having to pre-record a show 10 days before it airs. Um, But I promise you that we will be giving you more timely sky updates since I won't have to do the pre-recording and yeah, so there won't be any more outdated news and this can be your show where you can get all of your Chicago sky news. So remember to follow the show on Twitter. Our handle is at sky which is S K Y H O O K I N. And as always I say before wrapping up only the second edition of the show, you can email the sky hook at the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. Once again, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. Also, be on the lookout for an announcement on our social media for the skyhook being posted in podcast form on the Apple Podcast app. I should have that up once I am back in Chicago. So if you can't make it every Thursday at one, you will have a chance to listen offline. Thank you so much for listening. I am James K, and you have been listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Stay here to listen to WNBA Insider's excellent show, and until next time.